know your all your bills are taken care of and everything's just perfect in your life and you're just skipping along it's easy and then you have those moments where you're like how do I move the next step that's whenever that's whenever that praise keeps you going You know, you might go from one doctor's appointment to the other one, and nothing's good. But God, he's always good. He's always good. He's always there for us, and he only wants good for us. So I declare health, healing, and wholeness over y'all. I just bless you today. I missed y'all so much last week. I I was a little under the weather, but I just, oh my goodness, I missed y'all. So it's so good to see you. I just want to welcome you home today to Crossroads and tell you how much we love you and we appreciate you and we're so thankful for you. So we're going to continue with our praise and worship. We're going to give. And if you would, say this with me, please. We're declaring this. We're declaring this. This is not something we're just repeating, okay? We're not parrots. We are repeating. we're, We're declaring this over our lives. But this I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, you may give. have something special this morning so I'm gonna ask Miss Mary to come up please y'all let's give her a hand you. Oh, good morning I want to start off by just saying praise the Lord uh, the other day my caregiver was looking at what, at what I was getting ready to share with you guys. And she goes, why do you always start everything with praise the Lord? And I'm like, well, isn't that how we should start everything? Every morning, every thought, every anything. 
would praise the Lord because, I mean, just as we were singing, I mean, he is just so worthy of it all. You know, I mean, I just can't imagine not starting with the praise the Lord. So can we just do that right now? Say it with me. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, for those of you who don't know, on the morning of December 14th, I woke up feeling very short of breath. Um, a couple of days earlier, I had woke up not feeling well and called my doctor, and the doctor said, eh, go on to the ER. So a couple of days earlier, I went to the ER, and they bumped up my oxygen to, my normal is two liters, just to give you a frame of reference. They bumped it up to four liters. And under that, I was able to keep my oxygen level at a pretty good thing. And so they said, well, I think you'll be able to manage this at home. So I go home. But this was a couple of days later. I woke up not feeling good at all. So I called the pulmonologist again. And the nurse said, oh, what's your oxygen running right now? I hadn't checked, but I have this little pulse oximeter, you know, the little thing you put on your finger and check. I go, oh, man, 70%. Now, for those of you who don't know, 70 is really getting into a danger zone. She goes, come in immediately, which I did. Well, when I got there, they checked me out and determined I needed to go to the ER right away, right? And she walked me over to the ER, and I'm thinking, just based on my past experiences, and they're going to put me on a ventilator. I just knew because that's what they did. Well, that's never a good thing because the more you're on a ventilator, the harder it is to get off it. And so there's always the question, will I be able to wean off the ventilator and not have to have a trachea on me and all that stuff? So, you know, I'm going, hmm. well, God had other plans. Praise the Lord. When I went in, just through his miraculous healing power, I never had to be on the ventilator. I never had any invasive procedures at all. No bronchoscope, nothing that would have required me to be sedated or anything. Not only that, I was able, God gave me the strength to be able to get up in my chair every day. And by doing that, I was able to participate in my treatment the way I needed to. I, I can't even cough on a good day. Um, and certainly can't do it laying down. So only through God's strength was I able 
to get up every day and do what I needed to do, you know. It was great to have all my respiratory treatments and everything. And that was just a miraculous blessing to be able to do that. Now, I have some things I want to say about being grateful for the tough times. First of all, I thank God for his healing and his faithfulness. Just like in every other situation in my life, God gave me the strength to deal with them. And I also want to say a thank you to all of the prayer warriors and friends I've made here at Seawalk because you stood with me every step of the way with your love, your support, prayers, and that meant the world to me. I have some observations I want to make about the challenges and battles that we face in life. I know that a lot of us here found 2022 to be a really difficult year. So many people have faced losses, family crises, financial difficulties. Some of us just with an overwhelming sense of inadequacy or depression. It was a tough year for all of us, I think. And I really think the Satan seemed to make it his special mission to hit this family of believers. But in that, I want you to be encouraged because there are distinct blessings that come when we face challenges. The first is that it's an opportunity to prove beyond any shadow of doubt the goodness and faithfulness that God will work all things to our benefit and his glory. We see it every time we face a battle. We may not see it in that moment, And we may not understand the purpose for what we're going through, but we can trust God's plan. We can trust his timing and be assured that there is a purpose in what we're going through. And we can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the result of these particular battles that we're just going through. It's for our greater good and will reveal Christ in new and exciting ways. Second, challenges can give us great opportunities to exhibit the effect of a life dedicated to Christ. And that in seeing that, other people will realize the difference that God will make in their own lives. We cannot minimize that. That is 
such a huge thing. So it's important that we let them see Jesus through the way we live our lives and the way we handle the challenges that we face. In addition, I think Satan's probably going, ah, finally, this is going to be the thing that's going to break you and make you turn away from God. But the challenges we face are our opportunities to show Satan and the world that nothing is impossible with God. It's our chance to say, if the world might say, hold my beer, watch me. I will show you that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And lastly, I think, now this is my own thing, but I think it's naturally a compliment from God when we're faced with unique challenges. I think it's his way of saying, I see you. I know what you are capable of. I know that nobody else could handle this particular thing, but I know you can because I made you and I know what you can do. I think it's also a great opportunity to learn new things about ourselves. I feel like when we're given opportunity to see our own inner strength, it is such a huge confidence boost, isn't it? It makes us say, wow, I didn't think I could do that. But I guess I know something new about myself now. So be encouraged. encouraged to know that God is working out all your troubles. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way in the moment, but there are a lot of times that we need to go through these tough times to hone us, to make us what we need to be so that we can experience all the benefits that God has in store for us. Thanks again for your support, and thank you for letting me be a part of this family. It means more than you'll ever know. Love you all. Love you. I only heard three words of it, but I loved every second of it. Let's hear from Miss Mary. I tend to do that every Sunday, so I definitely will. I, I kind of like this church, Jennifer. 
I kind of like this church. It's good sometimes. Good morning, everybody. First, I would like to report on the fact that you guys did a phenomenal job with bringing in items. Um, we had a total of 158 coats brought in, um, and then about a million more items. And so there was more than enough to go around. So thank you guys for joining in. I'm part of that. Um, James says this. In the book of James, he says, If you see your brothers and sisters in need, and you have the means to fill that need, yet you just pray for them and send them on their merry way, what did you actually do for them? So it's, it's kind of cool to be able, what I believe to be the real church is a, is a church that impacts their community, gives to the needy, helps the poor. Um, and it's cool that we got to be the real church today with the real church. So it was a, it was a great time. Thank you, Kenneth and Peyton, for joining me out there, guys. We, I hope you all had a great time. Um, it was so cool to see lives impacted. Are y'all not excited about that? Y'all are so quiet. Y'all okay today? You good? Need to wake you up? The crazy person's back. You're welcome. Um, let's, let's wake up and get to it. Uh, I think I have a couple announcements for you guys before we get rolling. Yep, women's ministry event. All right, women, today at 5 p.m. You're meeting at 5 p.m. today. Women's ministry. I know Miss Jackie and the rest of women's ministry leadership are excited for that. Uh, next Saturday, our men's ministry bonfire starting at 5.30 behind the uh, activity center. So men, you please be there. Um, February 12th, Paul White is coming back to be with us again. That's also Super Bowl Sunday, right? Super Bowl Sunday where we raise an offering for outreach. So please keep that in mind. On the 12th, Paul White is coming back, but we're also having Pastor Betty do a special offering specifically for outreach ministry. And then on February 19th is our Friends and Family Day. You guys will be getting those invite cards next Sunday. They look phenomenal. But our theme for our first Friends and Family Day is we grow better together. Because we believe in this church that we do life better together. And we cannot reach the potential of where the Lord wants us to be unless we are actively doing life together. Um, so we're playing off with that spring theme. We are very, very excited for that. And I'm very, very excited for that. All right, today, we stand with me first? We're going to pray. I need to get my mindset back in mode after I just got done preaching and rushing back over here. We're going to get our minds right, get focused in to lock in for about 20, 30 minutes. King Jesus, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this church. I'm humbled and honored to lead this church. You are so willing to help others, to be a blessing to those in need. And Jesus, we just thank you that you give us excess so then we can turn around and give it to others. So Jesus, we thank you that you bless us and we're thankful for your blessings. But more than your blessings, we're thankful for you. We're thankful to be called sons and daughters of the utmost. We are thankful and honored to walk in relationship with you and with others. And Jesus, we just thank you for this day. I pray you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive today as we lock in and we focus to receive what Holy Spirit has for us. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. So we are starting a series called Cultivating the Church. And if you were here for our Vision Sunday, if you were not here, I would recommend that you go and you also watch it on Facebook or on YouTube to really see what we were talking about. But our main, our main focus for the, for the first part of this year and the main part of this year is cultivating consistency and community within the body of Christ at Crossroads. 
And so we're starting off, this is actually my first time preaching, preaching in the new year here, which is crazy, because we're already a couple Sundays in. Um, and we're starting a series called Cultivating the Church, and that's going to last up until Paul White comes, and then we're going to start another series called The Way, and then we're going to jump back into another series on community. So we're going to be hitting the road running. I'm excited for what the Lord has planned. But week one in our series, Cultivating the Church, is called The Loneliness Epidemic. The Loneliness Epidemic. Genesis 2, verse 18a says this, It is not good that man should be alone. It is not good that man should be alone. Psychiatrists have labeled our modern era the loneliness epidemic. And I want to look at some statistics that have been um, brought out. Nearly half of Americans report sometimes or always feeling completely alone. Only half of Americans claim to have meaningful in-person social interactions on a weekly basis. Over 40% of Americans sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they are isolated from others. Gen Z, adults aged 18 to 24, are the loneliest generation and claims are being made by doctors that they are in worse health than the older generations. In 2019, 58% of adults, 18 and up, stated that no one in their life truly knew them well and that their relationships felt meaningless. One in five Christians claim that they feel completely alone. That's 20% of Christians, and those are the ones who are actually being honest about what they're experiencing. And so psychiatrists have labeled our modern era the loneliness epidemic. And I need us to grab in on this because this is important for where we're going. Modern psychiatrists have labeled this. And even within the church, y'all, 20% of people who not, not just watch online but actively attend a church gathering feel alone. So the truth of our present time is this. The world is more connected than it has ever been via Internet, social media, smartphones. We are more connected socially via Internet than we have ever been. But we are also more disconnected than any other human beings in history have been from one another in the present moment. My wife and I took our little boys out to eat the other day at the Cracker Barrel, and there were about 10 couples around us, and every single one of them were on their cell phones, not even looking at each other. My gosh, the youth group, no, I have a rule, no phones with family. Every Tuesday night, they'll be sitting on their phones, and I, what do I always say? Any, youth, any of my youth in here? No phones with family. And they get mad at me because I, I make them put that phone in a bucket. I'll take it from them because we don't use phones with family. And the fact of the matter is this generation is disconnected. And the funny thing is it's not just the younger people. Y'all, I see older people on their phones just as much as younger people. We are more disconnected from one another. We may be more connected via Internet and social media and social services, but we are far more disconnected from one another than we have ever been in history. One psychiatrist put it this way, isolation is being alone. Loneliness is not liking it. Y'all, no one truly, no one truly wants to be isolated from other people. It's not in our DNA to truly want that. We have isolated ourselves either on purpose or by situations outside of our own control, but now we're paying the price for it. Uh, Gen Z may be the most sad generation I've seen in my life, and that's why I love being with the youth group, because those kids love one another. But y'all, the world truly has a need for community. And I believe Crossroads has a need for community. And I don't want us to find ourselves being in that place, feeling truly alone and unknown. Because just as it is horrible to be alone, it's just as bad to feel like you're not known by anybody around you. Once again, Genesis 2, 18a, it is not good that man should be 
alone. Shortly, I want to look at some dangers of isolation for us as believers, because I'm talking to Christians in this. Number one is you become highly vulnerable to attacks. You become highly vulnerable to attacks. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, I want to talk about why did Peter use this example of a lion. Well, I was studying this week of how lions hunt. Lions will always... (laughs) What's up, baby girl? Lions will always try to separate the prey from the pack. Doesn't matter how big and strong the lion is, the lion will never attack a pack. I don't care how big he is, how monstrous he is, lions will never attack a full-on pack. But what they will do is they'll run full speed at the pack and try to make the pack afraid. And if they can make the pack afraid and get one prey out of the pack, guess who they go after? They go after the one prey because predators always go after the vulnerable prey. Let me say this again. Predators always go after the vulnerable prey. And so what does Peter say? Peter says, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. What is he saying? Boy, you better be careful. (laughs) Like, well, the enemy is not everything. I'm not saying they're demonic beings everywhere trying to attack us. What I'm saying is this, you have to be watchful. Because when you isolate yourself away from the pack, there are dangers there. And there's a modern mentality going around that really concerns me. Yeah, you're not saved by going to church, but you are safe by going to church. I'm saying it again. You're not saved by attending a Sunday morning. Jesus is the way to salvation. Only Jesus. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But you are safe when you attend church. But not just attend, when you belong to a body of believers that is the church. And so Peter already tells us, be careful, be watchful, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Why is that encouraging? You are not in this alone. What you're experiencing is not a singular event only specific to you. Once again, Peter is saying, be watchful, be mindful. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So what do we know first? Lions go after a pack. They try to separate one to make them vulnerable. So number one, danger in isolation is you become highly vulnerable to attacks. And so the other good thing is this. Peter says, but you're not alone. This is why we need to stay in the pack, because there are other people in the pack going through the same thing. And anyone who knows when you're going through a similar experience as someone else, you gain strength from one another. You're able to talk through the situation together. You're walking hand by hand through a hard situation. And so Peter says, yes, the devil is roaring around looking for someone who may devour. So be careful, be watchful, stay in the pack. But more importantly, in the pack, there's comfort and there's safety. And so even with a spiritual attack, even in the spiritual instances, it's better to be in a pack than outside the pack. I'm going to say it again. It's better to be in the pack than outside the pack. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let me tell you this. If you are vulnerable outside of the pack, you're probably not going to endure the temptation you're probably going to give in to the temptation. Do you know how hard it is to be isolated, battling temptation? Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there? You get stuck in this big old cranium of yours right here, and you don't talk about it, you you don't speak it forth, you don't get it off your chest, and what you do is you sit there and you fester on the darkness that's being put in your mind. And instead of going to a brother or sister in Christ, hey, I'm really struggling with this, can you help me or just even give me a listening ear? What we do is we, we become shameful, 
we, get, we walk in guilt. We go back and hide ourselves in the darkness. And instead of speaking about it, we let it get worse and worse and worse to the point the big fall comes. It starts with the little fault, falls with the little ones, the little ones, the little ones, but always the little ones lead up to the big ones. You will never see someone, especially from a Christian platform, have a major falling out where there weren't little falls leading up to it. And oftentimes people in leadership think we have to be strong for everyone else so we can't be vulnerable. That's a lie from the devil. Y'all, I, I have expressed my own sins to you as a congregation because there is safety in numbers. There is safety in the light. And so the fact of the matter is the enemy wants to scare you and confuse you. By scare you, what do I mean? He wants you to isolate yourself from people. He wants you to be afraid of what people are going to think of you. He wants you to be afraid of how people are going to respond to what you're going through. But he also wants to confuse you. He wants you to believe that what you're doing is fine. People don't need to know. It's okay to keep this hidden. But the thing is, everything that is hidden will eventually come to light. And when it does come to the light, the fall will be very, very big. It's better we start off bringing it to the light. There's safety in numbers. And many of us know this. The flesh left unchecked is like a bull in a china shop. I'm going to say this again. And what do I mean by this? The china shop is your life. The china shop is your marriage. Y'all, it's easy to break relationships. The china shop is your friendships, your family life, your work life. And when you leave this flesh unchecked and you don't submit to the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you allow the flesh to go unchecked, the bull will destroy the china shop. And some of y'all had had that bull destroy some things in your china shop before. And you're like, amen, brother. Guess what? Me too. And so it's great that we stay in a pack because now we are held accountable by those around us. Y'all this, y'all, this whole series is going to be very uncomfortable for some of us because we want to come sit in a church and be unknown. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that because in isolation, there are dangers in isolation. Number two is this. So number one is you become highly vulnerable to attacks, both spiritual and fleshly. Number two is this. You become highly susceptible to deceptions. So one, we're talking about temptations to sin, things you actively do. Now I want to talk about your mind. I want to talk about your mind. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So first thing I want to say is, he says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Where was Eve when she was deceived? She was by herself. Someone's tracking with me. She was by herself. She was alone when she was deceived. Do you know how easy it is for deceptions to come in your mind when you have no outside voices giving you wisdom and truth and life? You're just stuck receiving whatever's being put into your mind from other sources. And so what happens for people like me who struggled with these things, y'all, I was such a good liar. I would lie to myself so well, I would believe the false reality of my lies. And some of you have been there because in isolation, you will tell yourself things that are not anywhere near the truth. Some of you probably believe people don't like you in this church because they don't talk to you. Or have you just not talked to them first? You may think people aren't welcoming here, but have you been welcoming and so we start to make up these lies in our heads of people don't like me. No, I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. But you never even verbalized what you were feeling or what you were going through. And now instead of actually getting someone to speak wisdom and truth into your life, no, that's not true. People love you. What are you talking about? You say, I, no, people don't like me. People don't like me. People don't like me. And you build up to the point that then you're unsocial in this church and you're antisocial and isolated within this body of Christ. Because now we're living in a false reality. Why? Because you isolated yourself. And just as Eve was isolated when she was deceived by the cunning serpent, you also are being deceived by the cunning serpents in your life. Because you're isolated. 
Because your mind becomes susceptible when you don't have other words of truth and wisdom being poured in from people. This is why a multi-generational church is so important. Young people need wisdom from the older generation. The older generation needs wisdom from the younger generation. And we pour in truth and life and wisdom to one another. So your mind becomes susceptible. But also Romans 8, 6 through 7 says this. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, but it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So even just our fleshly mind, I'm not talking about any type of outside demonic forces, because usually, y'all, it's not demonic forces that are your worst enemy. It's you. Usually you are your worst enemy. Your insecurities, your life experiences, your fears, your trauma, those are your worst enemies, not not the enemy, the devil, because Scripture tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And when Jesus said it's finished upon the cross, he really meant it's finished. So we are really fighting a defeated foe instead of dealing with our own personal trauma and life experiences and insecurities and fears. And so now we understand that, that the, the flesh, the mind of the flesh, is going to lead you down every path the Holy Spirit would not. Well, if we know the Holy Spirit leads us in life and truth and grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and redemption, guess where your flesh is leading you? Everything the polar opposite of where the Spirit is trying to take you. So when you sit in that place isolated by yourself with that fleshly mind, because the fact of the matter is you're not just going to have a spiritual mind on your own. The church is many members, one body. If you disconnect yourself from the body, how are you going to be connected to the head, which is Jesus Christ? So when you disconnect yourself from the body, you actually don't have a direct connection to the head because it all happens within community. Because God is in himself community, three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one community. So the fact that matters when we disassociate ourselves from the body of Christ, we're disassociating ourselves from the mind of the spirit that keeps us whole and well. And so that's the flesh in the mind. It'll lead us down paths we never wanted to go. So once again, there are dangers in isolation. So don't ever think you're just all fine and dandy by yourself because that's not how this thing works. Number one is you become highly vulnerable to attacks. Number two is you become highly susceptible to deceptions. But since we talked about isolation, now I want to talk about there being safety in numbers. The church, the church, safety in numbers, many body parts, one body. We as humans long to know others and to be known. We know this, correct? I mean, majority of you here are married. You long to know other people and you long to be known. It's in our DNA. We were made this way. Deep friendships, deep relationships, deep, you know, relationships with coworkers, whatever it may be, it is in our DNA. And the fact of the matter is, not only is there a God-shaped hole in your heart, there are human-shaped holes in your heart. I know for a fact, if I were to lose one of my children or my wife, there would be a huge gaping hole in my heart. And the fact of the matter is, even friendships, your heart longs for friendships. Your heart longs to be known and to be known by others and to know others. It's in our DNA. And this is why, this is why, especially younger generations who all their relationships are through texting and social media, and this is why now even the older generation, we are becoming more depressed and more filled with anxiety because we aren't living in the way we were made to live within community. Can I tell you, a, a texting relationship is not anywhere near as good as a face-to-face relationship. Me sending you a text and say, hey, how are you doing? is very different than me getting lunch with you and saying, hey, how are you doing? It's very different. It's very different face-to-face than a texting relationship. And the majority of our generation, even your generation, older folks, are now texting relationships. Except for Lamont, because Lamont doesn't even know how to text. But that's a different story. <laughs> Lamont, Lamont, Lamont existed before the dinosaurs existed. So he's pre-prehistoric. 
I'm going to hear back for that one later. But anyways, we were made to live within community. This is why, y'all, during COVID, especially when we did have to isolate, did you know that depression rates and anxiety rates and suicide rates went up every single one of them by 30%. 30%. Substance abuse was up 40%. Because we as humans were literally made by the one who is true community to live within community with one another. So if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling a bit anxious, there's probably a reason you need to check yourself and see, have I isolated myself from my brothers and sisters? You need the church. You need your brothers and sisters. That is a very unpopular opinion in the modern American church. We don't think we need one another. We really don't. We, we don't act like we need one another. We don't act like it's a necessity. We don't act like there's really any benefit, right? It's easier to roll out of bed and watch online sometimes, right? And we, we don't see the benefit, but I'm telling you today, even though it's not popular opinion, we need one another. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And this is, a, this is advice from King Solomon, who is one of the wisest men to ever live. Now, I'm not going to call him the wisest man like some do, because the fact of the matter is this man had like 5,000 wives. How smart could he be? I, I can barely keep up with one. This man is wild. He is not wise. He is foolish. It's crazy, wild man. But some things he said were very wise. Also, Jesus is the wisest man to ever live, so let's, let's think through that a little bit. Anyways, so Solomon is one of the wisest men, probably one of the wise, definitely one of the wisest in the Old Testament. I believe Peter's probably more wise. Anyways, and we're not going to get into that. That's another discussion. But here's some advice, and I believe he was giving this through the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's the one who was giving him, he said, the greatest wisdom of his day. So it's through Holy Spirit. So if it's wisdom through the Holy Spirit, that means that it is eternal. Because the Holy Spirit is the eternal spirit. And when the Holy Spirit speaks, it is for eternity. We tracking? We're good? Okay, so let's look at this. Starting in verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person has no other, either son or brother. That rhymes. I like that. Yet there is no end to all his toys. Yeah, that was not a part of the verse, so don't get confused. Like, wait, what? Is this Dr. Seuss translation? No. (laughs) Yet there is no end to his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asked, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappy business. So what is he first saying? A life lived only for the benefit of yourself is a worthless life. A life lived only for your own self, gaining your own wealth, gaining your own, and not providing for the future or a future generation or those around you, it's a worthless life. And this is coming from the richest man in the world on this planet. And he's saying it's worthless. There's no point. If you're not doing it for others, then why are you toiling so hard? You really care about yourself that much? It's not worth it. He said he has no friend, no brother, no one to take it. So he says it's futile. It's worthless. Why are we doing all this work? Catch it. By ourselves. Isolated. Alone. It's worthless. Verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Y'all, we are better together. I've been saying it. I'm going to keep saying it. We are better together. I can only listen. Kenneth and Peyton were a huge blessing to me this morning because, one, I couldn't have even hauled all that by myself in the first place. So ain't no way the real church was going to get those donated items. Second off, I couldn't get them all out there by myself once we got there and pulled them out of the vehicles. We are better together. I can only do so much. That's a perfect ministry example. I can only do so much by myself. Pastor Josiah is not Superman, contrary to popular belief. I can only do so much. Y'all are like not even close. Um, But we we are better together. 
We do life better together. We can achieve more together. This is why Crossroads is going to get where we need to get. How we grow and where we go in 2023 is up to all of us. Not up to Pastor Josiah. not up to Lamont Fry. not up to Charlie Sharp. Not up to Miss Jackie Lineman. It's up to every single one of us. Why? Because we are better together. And here's Solomon looking upon the world, and he saw one man toiling. He could only do a little bit. But when the other person, this is the thing. Yes, you'll double the work, but you'll also triple it because the person beside you will encourage you to go even harder. So not only will you double the work, you'll usually triple it because you work harder when there are other people encouraging you and pushing you on, and you gain strength from one another when you yoke yourself to somebody else. Why? Because when you yoke yourself to someone, when you attach yourself to someone, the strength of the stronger becomes the strength of the weaker. This is why Jesus said, cast off your heavy burden and yoke yourself to me. Why? Because now the strength of Jesus becomes your strength. It's the same thing in community. We yoke ourselves together to give each other strength. Verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So this is highly important for me because I've had some big falls in my life. I've made some really, really bad mistakes. I've made some big mistakes. And the beauty of it is this. When you live in relationship and community, there will be people who will not judge you, but they will pick you up. They'll give you some good, proper correction. They'll pass you on the shoulder and say, brother, sister, keep pushing forward. But listen, when you have a major fall and you are isolated, you'll probably stay on the floor by your own choices. Because once you mess up and you start to live in shame and guilt, it becomes a cycle. And you'll continue to live in shame and guilt, live in shame and guilt, live in shame and guilt. This is why it's so important to walk alongside other people, not just who know you, but who know you. To be truly known is different than to be known. To be seen is different than to be truly seen. This is why deep relationship and deep community is so important in the church. Because some of you are probably dealing with really hard things you may have never expressed to anyone in the church. And you'll continue and continue and continue. Why? Because we were made for community and you are not strong enough by yourself. Isolation weakens us. It makes us vulnerable. It makes us susceptible. And the more we're alone, the more vulnerable we become and the more susceptible we become. But the beauty of it is that when we walk in community, there will always be someone to pick you up, dust, you, dust your back off, pat you on the shoulder and say, keep going. You got this. Let's go on a different path. Verse 11. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Did we, we just got done talking about being vulnerable and susceptible to attacks when you're alone. What did this literally just say? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone. I mean, y'all, he's wiser than I am. So if you ain't going to listen to Pastor Josiah, at least listen to Solomon. I mean, I, mean, I am smart because I got one wife, but that's a different story. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. I'm going to promise y'all this. I'm going to promise y'all this. When you walk in community with other people, attacks that used to beat you down will no longer even phase you. This is speaking from someone who's dealt with many addictions in his life. Someone who tried to deal with them by himself and was stuck in cycles of freedom, slavery, freedom, slavery. But then when I brought it to the light, guess what I started walking in? The light. There's freedom. There's forgiveness in the light. And the light is all of us. We are the children of the true light, Jesus Christ. 
We no longer have to face these fights alone. We don't have to be vulnerable or susceptible. There is safety in numbers. We can fight with each other and for each other. I think that's something we've lost in the church. Because in the American church, we isolate ourselves to our small family units, and we come to church with our family units, and we leave with our family units. That's it. There's no, there's no families going out to lunch. There's no families spending time with one another. There's no families doing life together outside of the church building on a Sunday morning. And so the fact of the matter is we've lost that in the church. I'm here to fight with you and for you. With you as in I will walk your battles with you, but I'll also fight for you if I see you doing something stupid that you won't admit. I'll probably call you out on it and say, hey, let's fight this thing together. I will fight for you even when you won't fight for you. A great example of that is Abishai in the Old Testament. Abishai is with King David when King David's looking over King Saul and they're there in the tent there. And Abishai is one of the only people that's like, straight up, I will go with you, King David. I will die with you, King David. And they go into the tent, and there's King Saul laying on the ground. And Abishai says, Let, let's end this thing. He wants to pick up a spear and stab him. Y'all, some of us need friends like that. I mean, I'm not, let, let's change that. Please don't be killing people, and please don't be going around. Listen, if I see you on CNN, my pastor told me, uh-uh, I ain't getting no CNN interviews up in here now. All right? What do I mean by that? When you are fighting a spiritual fight, not everything's spiritual. Some things are fleshly. Some things you just have to simply put up boundaries in your life to keep you away from certain things. And you can have people keep you accountable with those boundaries. But sometimes you're going to be going through stuff that truly is from another source. It truly is a spiritual fight. And the fact of the matter is you've got to have friends be, being willing and ready to go in with you to battle at any point. Does it make sense? Y'all going to be leaving here thinking, Pastor, your size is a crazy person from that. But we've got to flip it, right? It's, 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 um, it's a metaphor, it's an allegory. I'm not actually talking. Anyways, moving on. We can fight with and for one another. Let's look at a Jesus example. So let's look at the loneliness epidemic in the time of Jesus. And so one thing about Jesus is that Jesus would break bread with anyone. I mean, anyone who invited Jesus to go out to eat, guess what Jesus would say? Yeah, absolutely. Of course I, of course I will. The loneliest people in Jesus' day and age, because Jesus lived in a very religious society, Judaism is, is all-encompassing of life. And so when someone was labeled a sinner, first off, that meant they were not allowed to go to the synagogue. So what does that mean? They were pretty much disassociated from every area of life because synagogue was where you built your connections. It was where you did a lot of your work. It was where you sold a lot of your stuff. That is where life happened was in the synagogue, and your relationships flowed out of the synagogue. And so if you were a sinner in the day of Jesus, you, that, that means you, you did not belong in the synagogue. You were not welcome in the synagogue. If you try to enter, the Pharisees would probably be like, get out of here. You're, you know, you're, you're sinful. You don't belong here. And so it's funny because every time, usually when you see Jesus dining and having a meal with someone, who's it with? Sinners. Tax collectors. Women they would call sinners, so that could be divorced women who have no, listen, even divorced women who had no say over the divorce were considered sinners. Because only men could divorce their wives. And so there's a bunch of people labeled as outcasts who had no control over why they were labeled outcasts, and they were kicked to the sides. These are the people Jesus spent most of his time with. And so I want to use a very specific example of a character I've always found interesting, and that's Mary Magdalene. So we learn in, um, in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 2, that at one point, Mary Magdalene was, was possessed by seven demons. So we know at one point, especially if you were demon-possessed, you were not walking up in the synagogue. You were not welcome. So at one point, Mary was absolutely on the fringes of society. She was absolutely an outcast, absolutely alone, because one, if you're possessed by a demon, they don't want you around anybody. They're going to isolate you. Hmm, sound familiar? And so Mary was isolated. She was demon-possessed. 
But apparently Jesus comes through and he heals Mary and he delivers Mary of her demons, of, of the things that have plagued her. So Jesus heals her. And the beauty of it is this. Jesus doesn't just restore Mary and send her on her way. Jesus restores Mary's mind and her body and then restores her back into community. Because when Jesus would tell someone to follow me, it wasn't just a call to follow Jesus. It was a call to live within community. The disciples did everything together. Yes, we know of the 12 disciples, the closest ones, but we also know, know there were 120 people in the upper room at Pentecost. So not only were there just the 12, there were also 108 other people who were following Jesus. Y'all, that's about the size of this church. And so the beauty of it is this. Jesus restores Mary in her mind, in her body, in her soul, and then he restores her into community. And the crazy thing about Mary is this. She's one of the only people to actually watch the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And more than that, Mark chapter 16, 9 through 11 tells us this. Mary was the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. She's the first one to see and then take the news back to the other disciples. So why, why is this beautiful? Because Jesus restored Mary and gave her community to belong and to be known. She went from demon-possessed on the margins of society completely alone to restored and thriving in community. When Jesus called someone to follow him, it was not only a call to be with him, but also a call to live within community. Because those who followed Jesus, when they followed Jesus, then they found their true friends and their true family. This is why when Jesus' family, his biological family comes up, it's like, Jesus, you're crazy. Come home. And Jesus looks around and he says, no, these are my true brothers. These are my true mother. These are my true father. These are my true siblings over here. Because the faith interconnects us deeper than any blood bond ever could. And so Jesus redeems and restores all things. Amen. Jesus redeems and restores all things. Amen. He reconciled everything back to the Father. And Christian community is one of the ways he restores us on this earth. Because many of us are dealing with things that could probably go away if we would then interlink and interconnect ourselves within community. Because you can be known there and you can belong there. And my hope is that you never, you never feel alone at Crossroads. And so what we've done over the past year is we started implementing different systems. And the goal this year is to have community with the whole body of the church knowing one another, doing life with one another, within community, small groups and special events, and then within community, our different ministries and serving teams. We want to build three levels of community here to the point that everyone who walks in this building belongs and feels known. You can know and be known here. And I want you to know we have your back. There's safety in numbers. You don't have to go through life alone. And please, I beg you, never separate yourself from the pack on purpose. Please never separate yourself from the pack on purpose because when you do that, there's a big old target on you saying, hey, <laughs> come at me, bro, and I promise you don't want that when you're by yourself because while one by themselves may be overwhelmed and overthrown, two never will be. Will you please stand with me? Let's prepare to partake of communion. You can be known here. You belong here. As we prepare to partake of Holy Communion, the Eucharist, man, just go ahead and start focusing on Jesus. He's the one that matters anyways. 
He's the example we follow. He's the one who's restored us and redeemed us. He's the one who's forgiven us and set us free. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the way in which we know the Father because you cannot see the Father without seeing Jesus. Because Jesus told Philip this. Philip said, show us the Father and we'll be happy. And Jesus said, Philip, have you been with me this long and still you don't understand? When you see me, you see the Father. So Jesus, we thank you for being the one that John 1.18 tells us that no one has seen God, but the one that comes from the bosom of the Father has revealed him to us. So Jesus, we thank you for being the perfect image of, of God, of the Father, of the Trinity, that the fullness of deity dwelled happily in the body of Christ, that he's the perfect image. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And without Jesus, we have nothing. Jesus, I want to thank you for your life, that you lived the way of the kingdom to show us how to do it. But more importantly, you lived the life we could not live, the perfect, blameless life that you walked through the wilderness and the darkness and the valleys and the temptations, but yet without sin. That you died upon the cross, absorbing the sins of the world into your body, taking everything we could not into yourself and dying. And with you, sin died. With you, death died. Because when you rose victorious three days later, Sin and death had no more hold on you. Because if you would have stayed in the grave, sin and death would have won. But no, you did not stay there. You rose again that we may have fullness of life and eternal life in you. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Section on my right, you may come grab your communion elements. All right, middle section, you may come. 